I would like us to turn to Exodus chapter 33 together. How many guys are familiar with this passage of Scripture? Show of hands. A few of you guys. I want to consider this with you this morning. If you remember with me, Moses, okay? Uh, what did he ask back in Exodus 33? Please show me your glory. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I love to get glimpses of God's glory. And I pray that we all get to experience that here today as we gather together. Let's pray real quick. Father, we are so thankful. Lord, we, uh, we take your word seriously. You've asked us to, uh, uh, to seek you, Father, to take your word precept upon precept, line upon line. God, and it's been a blessing to do that through the gospel of Matthew together. And we would pray this morning, please give us ears to hear what your spirit would have for us as your church here this morning. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen? Amen. So if you guys jump with me all the way down to verse 18, and he asked Moses, please show me your glory. And then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. So this really is the glory of God at work for good. Do you guys see that? Okay, he's at work for good. And then he goes on to say, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So this is the the glory of that undiluted name, okay? The name of God. You guys remember who he claimed to be? I am, right? The great I am. And then he says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. So this really speaks to the glory of God's independence. And then he goes on to say, but he said, you cannot see my face. For no man shall see me and live. So there is this reality of the glory of God. It is so awesome. It's unapproachable because man will surely die in the presence. He's that consuming fire. And then it goes on. Jump down to verse 22 with me. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. So there's this glory of God's protection. Isn't that beautiful? And also it concludes here, and this is the last thing that he brings up in verse 23, then I will take my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So this is really the glory of God's manifested presence here. And Mo got a little taste of it that day. And we get to have a little taste this morning in this passage of Scripture we find ourselves in this morning here in Matthew 17. So let's turn there now. If you guys recall, last week, Peter said some right things, said some wrong things, and then Jesus gave a final answer. And then here, guys, six days have now passed since Peter tried this to barricade Christ from going to the cross. And now we have before us this dress rehearsal of his second coming in all of his splendor. So here we get a glimpse of Jesus' glory. So really the story is about glory. And I want you guys to note, if you look at verses 3 and 5 here, behold or look and see are used twice. So it's as if Matthew here couldn't even tell the story without stopping to catch his breath at the sheer staggering wonder 
of what takes place here in Matthew 17. You guys see there are three disciples that get to catch a glimpse of the intersection between heaven and earth as they observe Jesus in all of his glory. So this was the only time his glory, veiled in human flesh, was allowed to shine through. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing. This is what they get to partake of here, guys. So let's take a look together. A glance at glory, verse 1 of Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just as a high altitude, guys transforms a landscape in the physical world, so does a real prayer in the spiritual realm. You see, if you climb up to the top, the things that you thought were massive, what ends up happening? They look puny now, right? Other objects you greatly underestimated look impressive now. So look who Jesus loves taking up on the mountaintops, okay? He took Peter, with his blunders. Not so, Lord! Right? And then he takes who? The sons of thunder. You guys remember them? They're the one, hey, Jesus, let's call fire down from heaven and consume these people that you came to save and die for. Really? Those are the guys you're going to pick to take with you up on this mountain. I love that he does this, guys. Because he loves taking us to mountaintops also. Maybe Jesus this week is going to invite you to come up on the mountaintop to give you God's eye view of a situation to show you your perspective is skewed. To show you that the big things that you see are actually really small. And from his perspective, from his vantage point. Now, this word transfigured in the Greek, it's metamorpho. Can you guys say that? Metamorpho. Isn't that a fun word? Right? It's a change of the outside that comes from the inside. That's what happened to Jesus as he's transfigured here. This glory. And for that brief moment, they saw him as the heavenly Lord. Okay, so the prefix trans, it literally means across. Okay? Trans flight. Have you guys ever heard of that? Or transatlantic flights, okay, to go across. Now, he's crossing over back into this glory in which he had. So this transfiguration, a limit or a barrier, was crossed. It was the crossing the line between the natural and the supernatural, from human and divine. So God Given guides here. Look at verse 3. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. I think this is the best pick on Mo and Elijah that we have. Think about these extraterrestrials here. And you guys might be thinking, well, why Moses? Why Elijah? 
Moses has been dead for 1,400 years. Elijah for 900. Well, both these men had previously conversed with God on the mountaintops. You guys recall that? Moses on Mount Sinai, Exodus 31, verse 18. Elijah on Mount Horeb, okay, Sinai's whole mountain range. There, 1 Kings 19.9, both had seen, or God had shown them the glory of God. Both represent something. Moses, the law. Elijah, the prophets. Both had amazing departures from earth. Both had very interesting deaths. You guys remember Moses died and who buried him? God himself buried Moses. Elijah was raptured up into heaven, okay, in a whirlwind. Some think it's a flaming chariot. Both were taken to Jesus about his uh, decease or his death, his departure. You guys can jot down Luke 9.31. I used to think, what an awesome theological conversation that this must have been with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. I wish I could have been there. Now I think, what a relational conversation that that must have been. You see, when facing the hardest thing in your life, you want to persevere. You want encouragement. You want hope, promises. You don't want terms and definitions. His suffering would not be an accident, but an accomplishment. They came to encourage him. Go on. Okay? Finish what you have come for. The cross that is set before you. They came here, or they encouraged him in that way and helped Jesus to walk the way of the cross. So we learn a lot from them showing up in thinking of the saints that have died and gone before us. We should get some understanding here. They are still individuals, weren't they? Okay? They, were, they weren't extinct. They have continuing personalities. Moses was still Moses. Elijah was still Elijah. There was a personal identity and a recognizable difference between them. They are still human beings. They didn't grow wings. They didn't become angels. They remained human, just like Jesus did after his resurrection. Also, they are alive consciously. So nothing here of soul sleep that is bad theology, bad doctrine, okay? Unless they were walking in their sleep, but then the greater miracle would be that they're both walking in their sleep at the same time, right? Talking in their sleep about the same thing. I mean, you guys get the point? Also, they are similar to, yet different from the bodies they had, like Jesus' resurrected body. Also, they enjoyed fellowship here with Jesus. Isn't that cool? Did you guys know that Moses never got to enter the promised land? You guys know where this is happening? The promised land, Moses is finally there. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of him. I think that's so cool. They were in touch with the earth, and they were alive to the concerns here on earth, especially matters of salvation. So something we need to grasp in understanding, suffering leads to glory. Let me say that again. Suffering leads 
to glory. Let's take a read here at verse 4. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and they were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Wow. What a great reminder, huh? That there are times not to do. There are times not to do. You see, Peter was a man of action. Always looking for something to do, to say, to build. That's Peter. Let's just get it done. But we must make a way for space in our lives. A time of stillness, of contemplation, of wonder, adoration, meditation. A time for awed reverence, especially in the presence of a superior God. This is so important, guys. Zechariah 2.13, jot it down. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. You see these three tents or tabernacles that Peter wanted to make for them? Peter wanted to make this event a perpetual feast of tabernacles. Peter went from not so Lord in regards to his suffering and his death to let's immortalize this moment of glory. Okay, This is where we need to be. This is what we need to hang on to. Pete was like, now that's how I like my Messiah. A glorified one, not a dead one. And don't we like our heroes bright, shiny, strong, with capes, able to fly? That's the way we are. But suffering leads to glory, guys. Peter emphasizes this. Jump to 1 Peter with me. Chapter 1. Let's take a look at verse 6 here. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, 
that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of joy. Verse 11 tells us, searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Wow! You guys get what Peter's saying here? Okay? He emphasizes this point that suffering leads to glory. So I guess Peter, deity and death are not irreconcilable after all. See, they're not a contradiction, but they're a consistency that we see in Scripture. It means a great end. So I don't think Peter wanted to go back down to the common things after he saw the glory. I don't want to go back there. Okay? How many of you guys have seen Nacho Libre? Right? Don't you want a little taste of the glory? You guys remember that scene? To see what it tastes like? <laughs> you know? I love that line in that movie. But I think there's a lot of people that don't want to taste the glory of God. Aren't we exhorted to taste and see that the Lord is good? But we're willing to go try everything else. I'll get it there. But once you have tasted and see, you want nothing else. And that's what happened with Peter here. William Barclay said, the moment of glory does not exist for its own sake. It exists to clothe the common thing with a sheen and a radiance that has never or never had been before. So, was the job, let's say, of hewing out a small limestone cave for dead bodies important? Is that an important thing to do? Well, imagine just one man in the first century lazy and tired one day at work maybe he's sloughing off just at this one tomb in jerusalem what if he would have made it just a little bit short what if he would have made it and chiseled it you know too thin and it didn't support the body who would end up viewing that work only the son of god two angels, the apostles, the woman. And if we have the right tomb today, there's hundreds of thousands of people that are still viewing it. Martin Luther King Jr. said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. You see, be faithful, brother and sister. Even in the small things, in common things. We can't live in glory yet, but it is coming. Luke chapter 9, verse 32, but Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep and when they were fully awake they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him 
So what a snapshot of humanity, humanity being glorified for a brief moment. They saw him as the heavenly Lord. How cool. I love Hebrews 2. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son who he has appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Isn't that a cool way to start a book? Look at Jesus. Let's consider Jesus here. Wow. And you guys, there's a different glory. You guys remember Moses' glory when he came down the mountain there in Exodus 33? His, shown, his face had shown a reflected glory. That's all it was. You see, Jesus' glory, Christ's guys, didn't reflect the brightness of divine glory, but his glory is the brightness of divine glory. Jesus didn't reflect light, but was the source of light. And this is the glory he willingly veiled for us. At crucial moments, the splendor of Jesus' deity burst through the cloak of his humanity. And this was an open display for the disciples to see Jesus' glory that he had before his incarna incarnation, a foreshadowing of Jesus' resurrection and his return. Pretty cool, huh? John 17, 5, Now, Father, this is Jesus speaking, bring me into glory, or into the glory we shared before the world began. Jesus is not a created being, guys. He is God. And he was in glory. And he veiled that. He set that aside to come and to do what we couldn't do. To be a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, so we could be forgiven, guys. Wow, what a glorious God. Even being veiled, how glorious. <laughs> that glory just keeps shining through. So this was his own glory shining through here. Not just a reflection, not just his clothes. This showed plainly his divinity, the glory from within. So our future glory, what is it? Okay, what is it? Us being glorified. I'm glad you guys asked. Okay, we're promised. We are promised on Paul's golden chain of redemption in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. It says, whom he predestined, he's also called. In whom he's called, these he's also justified. In whom he justified, these he's also glorified. That is God's word, guys. That is a promise. So written in past tense, because the final step is so certain that in God's eyes, guys, it's already done. Okay? It is as good, it's finished, it is complete. So do you know that our glory is just like Jesus' glory? Really? Yeah. James, didn't we read that at Men's Study this Thursday morning? Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship, it's not in, you know, it's not here on earth, it's where? In heaven, from which we also eagerly wait 
for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed into his glorious body. Isn't that cool, guys? Jesus to the Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Yeah, check it out. John 17, verse 22. It's in the Bible. (laughs) So our nature will be made whole. Our hearts will be set free. Our sin completely eradicated. Is that a good word to use, David? Yeah, so the possibility of sinning forever extinguished. It will not be fleeting, but it will be permanent. So now the Father gives this course confirmation here. Earlier, Jesus had the two greats of Israel as his encouragement, but now the very voice of the Father came to him, telling him that he was on the right way, the right path path and that he was well pleased with his course his life a bright cloud the the shekinah glory pretty cool picture right this doesn't even compare to the shekinah glory of god guys okay think about it it was often represented as the presence of the almighty god We see examples of it in the scripture with the giving of the law, the Shekinah glory of God showed up at the tabernacle and then later at the temple. Here, at his ascension and later at his return. Hebrew word is kabod. The Greek word is the doxa. And it has been 600 years since anyone had seen the Shekinah glory of God. Here it is once again with Jesus, Mo, Elijah, Mo, Pete, John, James. Got to all see and partake. But did you guys catch, and I think this is the thing that popped out to me the most this week in preparing. What did the Father say there on this Mount of Transfiguration? The glory, the Shekinah shows up. And the Father says, hear him. Did you guys catch that? Hear him. Hearing God's word is more important than seeing God's signs. Amen? The Father didn't say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. See this sign. No, he said, hear him. And Peter never forgot hearing that at this spectacular event in second peter chapter 1 verse 17 and 18 for he received from god the father honor and glory and such a voice came to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain but let's not diminish then the spectacular event. John never forgot seeing it. He wrote in his gospel, first chapter, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. 
the glorious, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So all three men needed to hear this. James was the first to be martyred. And then we have John. He was persecuted at Patmos. And then Peter experienced many occasions of suffering, of trials, of hardships. And he too was to be crucified, martyred for his faith in Jesus. So the father interrupted Peter to remind him, hear him. And I think we need that reminder, brothers and sisters. Hear him. Hear him en route to Jerusalem. Hear him through the suffering. Hear him to the cross. Hear him. We also need to hear from him in his word. As we look into the word of God, we see the Son of God, and we are transfigured by the Spirit of God into the glory of God. Really, Pastor? I was going to end there, but we have a few minutes. I told you guys, the word transfigured was what? Metamorpho in the Greek. You guys have heard of metamorphosis. The caterpillar <laughs> turned into what? A beautiful butterfly. It's pretty cool if you actually look and you study out where that word is used again. It's only used two other times in the New Testament. I want you guys to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So metamorpho, we find it here in verse 18. I'm going to read verse 17. I don't know if you guys have caught this through the years at Freedom Fellowship, but we've tagged a ton of our stuff. I don't know if this is our church verse or not, but I love 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or there is freedom. Man, that's been my prayer for our fellowship, and I hope you guys desire the same thing, that we are free in Christ, that we are walking in the Spirit of God, and we are just free to be who God has created us to be. Okay? It's not about legalism. It's not about doing this or that. It's about God loving us, setting us free, and because we are so thankful of this grace that has found us, we just want to love Him back. We want to love others and let them know about this Jesus that has set us free. Amen? All right, look at verse 18. This is the, <clears throat> the verse that we see transformation take place in the life of the believer, who is in the Spirit of God, of course. Verse 18 says, But we all, okay, this is written to who? Believers, okay? So Christians, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being metamorphosed, okay, transformed into the same image from what? Glory to glory, just as by the same Spirit. Think about that, guys. We are being transformed. It's beautiful. We're close to Ephesians. Turn a couple books to the right. Well, that's wonderful. God is transforming me. I've been born again in the Spirit of God. God has promised to complete a work, to sanctify, 
to metamorpho. I mean, really? Yeah, really. How does that play out in our lives? Well, you can do this in the book of Colossians. You can do this in Ephesians. So much is spoken of, of a life in the Spirit of God. So what should we do if we are born again of the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God is transforming us from glory to glory? What does that look like practically, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Let's just do a quick outline of the book of Ephesians real quick. Well, we won't do the first part because it's all about who we are in Christ and because we are this in Christ. This is what we're going to do as a result of it as a believer. I want to look at just a verse that we find towards the end of chapter 4, verse 30. There it is. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do you guys know that you can do that? Brother? Sister, you can grieve the Spirit of God. Well, how do I do that? It's when the Spirit of God is working on you, speaking to you, maybe warning you, maybe leading you, and you just say, no, I resist you right now. I want my will. I don't like what you're asking. That's how we grieve the Spirit of God. Now, I think we all do that, if we're honest. You know? I wish when I was born again, my sins were forgiven, the sin nature would have been just obliterated. Can't even say the word. Gone, okay? Wouldn't that have been cool? You know? But man, that flesh stinks. And it's still there. We still war against the Spirit, don't we? So, if we're not grieving the Spirit of God, what are we told in verse 31? We've been sealed with it for the day of redemption, okay? Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. So when we're not grieving the Spirit of God, guess what? You're going to start glowing. Really, Pastor? Yeah. From glory to glory. Have you met the saints that glow? You can just tell, you've been with Jesus. You're glowing. Man, you're loving your wife. You're submitting to your husband. Let's look at this real quick. Look at verse chapter 5. If we're submitted to the Spirit of God, if we're not grieving Him, we're going to walk in love, we're going to walk in light, we're going to walk in wisdom. Check it out in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, you'll be able to do that. Okay? You're going to glow when you're walking with the Lord in the Spirit. And husbands, you're going to be able to do verse 22. Loving your wife just as Christ loved the church. How does he love us, guys? And he is so patient with us, isn't he? He is sacrificial, unconditionally loves. Let me tell you what. That's how husbands ought to love their wives. But we can't do that, brothers, unless we are filled with the Spirit of God. Unless we are walking with him and we're not yielding to him otherwise what we're going to be we're going to be in the flesh we're going to want it our way okay even to the point we'll begin to abuse our wives provoke our children you guys catch the next part in ephesians it goes on to our relationship with our kids fathers don't provoke your kids okay and these are things that shouldn't be going on but they go on in christian homes and sister if you're being abused by your husband please come talk to me or one of the elders that stuff shouldn't be going on What are we going to do? We're going to come alongside. We're going to pray. We're going to rebuke. We're going to love. Hopefully there will be repentance and correction in that. Those things need to happen, guys. 
but they can't happen with, hey, I have some accountability now. No, you need to be yielded to God. You need to be allowing Him to lead you and work in your life. Also, it goes on to talk about slaves and masters. There's going to be a right relationship even there with your employer or employees. When you're walking in the Spirit, things work out the way they're supposed to. Well, great. I see that here in Ephesians. I've read this book before. That totally makes sense. Yeah, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. That's our exhortation, brother and sister. Be filled with the Spirit. Why? So you can glow. Well, how do I know what's right and what's wrong? I'm glad you asked because there's one more mention of metamorpho in the New Testament. Let's go to Romans chapter 12 together and we'll look at the other one. And this ties right back in to the exhortation to hear him. Hear Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as we read early in verse 14, he was made flesh, guys. The Word was made flesh. Came to us full of grace and truth. You want truth? You want the grace to walk in the Spirit of God? You need to hear God. Here in Romans chapter 12, let's read verse 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, or Paul's saying here, I I beg you, okay? Therefore, my brothers, my sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do you guys get what he's getting at here? Do you guys understand Old Testament sacrifice? You would take something that would have to be killed, dead, and put it on the altar. And what would it do there? It would just lay there dead. It would be consumed and offered to God as a sweet-smelling aroma. Our lives ought to be the same. But the problem is we're a living sacrifice. Okay, We might be on the altar today, but are we going to crawl off tomorrow? No, guys, we are to be a living sacrifice continually, daily taking up our cross, right? Following him. And then I want you guys to catch verse two. This is where we see metamorpho. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There it is. Be transformed. Great! How do I do that, pastor? Don't ask me. What does God say? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. Wow. And if you guys read on there, we're taught how to serve the Lord in the Spirit. Gifts that he'll give and that he'll use in us. But again, that's being submitted to him, allowing him to lead us, to transform us from glory to glory. I don't know about you guys, but I want to glow for Jesus. Wouldn't it be so awesome if people just grabbed you and said, there's something different about you. Yeah. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I'll share one story. Not to make it about me, but the reality of walking in the Spirit of God. Um, I was in Romania, uh, Bucharest, or Budapest. Which one is it? Bucharest. Yeah, Bucharest. Okay. Huge city. Um, we were staying with a, a young missionary couple and this young missionary asked me if I could go down to the McDonald's. And as a college student living in Europe at the time, I was just McDonald's. I'm in. I'll go to McDonald's. Great, because this guy, so-and-so, 
uh, I have to meet with, but I can't make it. Can you go meet with him? <laughs> Absolutely. If I can have a happy meal, I'm good to go. I'll be there. Stuff. So <clears throat> I go to the McDonald's there. Um, and as I'm walking in and stuff, I had a big yellow jacket at the time. And the guy was supposed to recognize me. You'll, you'll be able to tell that he's an American because everybody in Europe dresses dark. You know, and I'm wearing a big yellow jacket and stuff. And this guy comes up, and he grabs me, and he's like, you know Jesus. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, are you Kamar? No, who's Kamar? <laughs> it's not even the guy I was supposed to be meeting with. This guy could just tell that I'd been with the Lord, in the Lord. And it was so cool because I never met Kamar that day. Later to come find out from the missionary, there were two McDonald's on the same strip long... <laughs> two different ends, this guy was a Muslim. And I sat down with my Happy Meal for about an hour and a half and shared the gospel with this Muslim. Shining for Jesus. I wish I shined for Jesus all the time. Babe, do you see me shine for Jesus? Do you see me shine not for Jesus? <laughs> she knows better than anybody. We can be in the flesh or we can be in the spirit, guys. And that's where we have to strive. We're not told to strive for much, but strive to be in step with the Lord, guys. Follow him well. Be in the Spirit. And how can we do that? By hearing him. Renewing our minds. Because if your mind's like mine, we quickly forget a lot. We forget his promises. We forget his commands. Well, I'm to love my wife this way. I'm to respect, submit to my husband this way. I'm not to provoke my kids this way. This is the way I should love we're quick to forget those things. Why? Because we're forgetful people. And our thinking can get messed up real quick. Am I the only one? But that's where the Word of God is so good. Because as we're in the Word, hearing Him, renewing our minds, it always comes back to, you're right, God. I'm jacked up. <laughs> I'm messed up. You're right and I'm wrong. And when you have that humility, and you submit yourself before him, you'll find that sweet spot, I believe, where that metamorpho is taking work in our lives. We are being transformed. And let us glow for Jesus, because this world needs to see. They need to know. And we're told, I think in John 13, 34, is it? The world will know that you are my disciples, believers, by the love that you have for one another. Okay? And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Galatians 5.22 is love. Okay? So if we're in the Spirit, we're going to be loving. That's all we need to do, guys. Okay? Love. Listen to the Lord. Be transformed. Glory to glory. And let me tell you what, when the Lord comes to take us home or we die and go to be with Him, guess what? Perfect glory. No more flesh. Can't wait. I don't know about you guys. But I hope you're homesick too. Let's stand to our feet and pray. Well, Father, so much can be said, but you have given us here in your word everything that pertains to life and godliness. And we are so thankful for your word. 
We thank you for how it effectively works in those who believe. We are so thankful that we can choose to let your word richly dwell within us, changing us, Father. We pray that our our minds would be renewed, that we would be diligent daily to pick up, to take devotion serious, to take your word serious, to allow you to transform us, God. And as your kids, you're a good dad, and we want to be like you. So we're praying, Father, that you'd help us, give us wisdom, grace, discernment as we considered with the kids earlier. Father, we need that so badly living in these last days just to be able to know how you're leading and what you're asking of us that we wouldn't in our self-righteousness or flesh or whatever it is Father, grieve your spirit. So we pray that you'd help us, Lord, to follow well, to be in step with you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would bless them, give them opportunities, open doors to shine, to glow for you, Jesus. Because all we're doing is reflecting you. That's all we can do. It's not our glory, it's you. It's you in us, God. You are the hope of glory. And so thankful, Father, for your sacrifice, for the cross, for the reality of the good news. We thank you, Father, that we've heard from you this morning. You are good. We pray in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen.